0: Today's scripture is from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 31. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and every, everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob... He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. The word of the Lord.
1: For the first four weeks... Of September, we're doing this, this sermon series called Named, and, and it's on naming and, and being named, and what it means to be named, and how powerful names are, and how much they have to teach us about God. And I'm thrilled to report that already this um, sermon series has had a dramatic real world impact. A literally a life shaping impact on someone. I get to share it with you this morning. Um, So uh, some exciting news in the life of the church is that this past Tuesday at three something in the morning, uh, John and Whitney Wunderlich welcomed uh, their baby daughter into this world, and and uh, they named her Eden. And so uh, we are of course thrilled for them. And um, this past week, I got actually received a text message from Eden herself. Um, telling me that she had been born. Now, it was her mom texting on behalf of her, but it was in Eden's voice. I just want to be completely clear about that. It was, it was wonderful. And, um, and so Eden told me that uh, because of my September 1st sermon on Genesis 2, that actually helped seal the deal on a last-minute name change for her. And, and so I don't know what her name was going to be before, but, but, but Eden was in the running. But then all of a sudden, that Genesis 2 sermon comes talking about uh, the garden in Eden, which means delight. And that was a message from God about what this child's name needed to be. Because Eden means delight. And as we reflected on that day, one of the reasons we were created was for delight, to delight in God and to delight in this world that he has created. And so I am, uh, I am chuffed, as the Brits say, uh, I am chuffed that Eden shared this story with me and that one of my sermons actually had a role to play in her being given that name by her parents. So I, I for one, will never, ever forget that. Now, Eden's a beautiful name. I mean, it's a beautiful name. It means uh, delight. But today we're going to study a passage with a very, very different name and naming process. And so we're going to look at when Jacob was given the name Israel and this mysterious Wrestling match that took place. And we're going to look at this story and, and this naming and see what they have, have to teach us about having a real encounter with God. What does it look like to have a real encounter with God? How does it happen? What does it look like? And, and what results from it? So, those are the three aspects of this story, this naming we're going to look at. How does it happen? What does it look like? What results from it? So, first, how did it happen? How does it happen? Now, verses twenty-two and twenty-three say, "That same night, he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. So, so just to get everyone up to speed on what's happening in in, in Jacob's life, here here's kind of the, the thumbnail sketch, the story of what's happened to him so far." So Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. He's the younger brother of Esau. When uh, the boys were still in utero, the Lord gave a message to his mother that that the older brother would serve the younger, which is a reverse of, of expectations. And when Jacob was born, he came out grasping at his brother Esau's heel, who was born just before him. And so that's where he got his name, Jacob, which means literally heel grabber which has negative connotations like you're a usurper or you're a a climber or you're a a supplanter, a replacement. Jacob, true to character, he eventually purchases his brother's birthright, which is double portion of his father's inheritance, and he does so for a mess of pottage. And then he steals his aged and blind father Isaac's blessing that was meant for Esau by, by dressing up like his brother and then lying to his father's face about who he was. Now at this point, after he's, he's, he's taken this double portion, he's stolen this blessing, Esau wants to kill him. And so Jacob runs away to find a wife. And he agrees to serve his uncle Laban for seven years in exchange for marrying his beautiful daughter, Rachel. But Laban somehow was able to pull the old switcheroo and uh, tricks Jacob into marrying Leah, his eldest daughter, first, and then so in exchange for seven more years of service, Laban agrees that he can marry his daughter Rachel. Now, after four, these 14 years, Laban has prospered greatly because of Jacob's service and, and management of his flocks, and so they strike a deal that in exchange for six more years of work, Jacob will get to leave with, with all of the black and speckled members of the herds. Now at the end of this time, God calls Jacob to return to his homeland, to the promised land. But Jacob is understandably skeptical that his uncle is actually ever going to let him go, and so in the middle of the night, he runs away with his wives, his children, and his considerable wealth. Uncle Laban chases him down. They come to an understanding, and so all that's left for Jacob to do at this point is is go back into his homeland. And there's just one little thing standing in his way, and that's that Esau is still there. And last Jacob heard, Esau wanted to kill him. And so Jacob comes up with a plan. He says, I'm going to send all of my wealth before me, this considerable, substantial, great wealth, in in these four sort of packages, these four caravans go ahead to try to buy off his brother's anger. And so he sends these four caravans, and he, he divides his family into two camps, saying, well, if Esau comes after us, he's only going to get one. Maybe the other will be able to get away. And we're in suspense because Jacob has gotten word at this point that Esau is coming out to meet him along with 400 of his closest friends. And we can imagine at this point what Jacob is thinking. I'm dead. How am I going to bribe? How am I going to trick? How am I going to weasel my way out of this one? And so when we meet him in our passage, he sent his family across the river and the the Jabbok. This is the, the border of the promised land. And so he sent them in there ahead of himself, and he's left by himself. If he's going to face Esau, he's going to have to do so alone. And that's right when God meets him. That's right when the wrestling match begins. And so how does a genuine encounter with God happen? It happens when we are alone, when there's nothing left that is standing between us and God. Right? There's nothing left standing between Jacob and God, none of his deception or none of the times that he's been deceived none of the stuff not the family not the friends not the loved ones jacob doesn't meet god we, we we don't meet god until all of that has been stripped away because at some point if we want to have a genuine encounter with god we've got to meet him one on one We've got to face the questions of, of, of do we believe in God? Do we know God? Do we love God? Do we trust God? Do we, do we want to worship, serve, follow, sacrifice, and live for this God ourselves? To transpose this question into to New Testament terms, when Jesus says, follow me, it's a command, but it's also a question that's addressed directly to you from him. And so what will your answer be? You can only answer that question. You can only answer that call yourself. No one else can do it for you. You can only do it alone. Because it isn't good enough to just go along with the crowd. That, that works for a time. But think how many people grow up in the church. And so their relationship with God, with God boils down to basically, well, that's something my family did or something my parents made me do. Once their parents don't make them anymore, they grow up, go off to college, start living on their own, all of a sudden God is completely irrelevant because they haven't encountered him alone. Or you're a part of a group or a ministry or, or a church even, but then you get too old for that group or you move away and you can't be a part of that church anymore and then all of a sudden you have no desire to do any of that Christian stuff anymore because It was never really actually about God. It was about the crowd, the group, the people, your family. Now, please do not hear me saying that those things don't matter or are not absolutely essential for our growth in Christ. Christian community in the context of a family, a life group, a church, some other ministry, all those are absolutely necessary. They are necessary but not sufficient because nothing can replace the kind of of encounter we see in our passage, the the kind of one-on-one, direct, personal, existentially meaningful encounter that we see with the living God. And as we see in this passage, those encounters, those one-on-one, direct encounters with God alone, oftentimes they take place in the face of some great crisis in our lives. As Jacob was facing here or, or, or at a threshold moment when, when we're kind of crossing from one stage of life or one place in our development to another. Because Jacob is at a threshold moment. He's, he's the promise bearer. He's been told that he, he's going to you know, have a great nation. God is going to build a great nation through him. And he's returning to the promised land. That was part of being the promise bearer. If you bear God's promise, they take root in this promised land. And he's coming back after 20 years. 20 years away to this promised land this is momentous and so crossing the river it's crossing that threshold and this is so often when god meets us alone and threshold moments are constantly happening you have a child someone dies you move you you quit you get fired you meet the one you break up you start over you graduate you go back to school, you get married, you, you decide that now is the time you're fed up and so you're gonna get out of whatever rut it is that you've been stuck in. Those are the kind of threshold moments that I'm talking about. And, and, and many of us in this room can probably speak to the ways that God has met us in those moments, in those places. And if you've never met God in that way, my, my special encouragement to you is to be on the lookout to pay attention, especially if you find yourself on a threshold of something new because God just might sneak up behind you and jump you like he did to Jacob. So that's how a real encounter with God happens. It happens when we're alone and in a crisis or on the threshold. But what does it look like? What does a genuine encounter with God look like? And what we see from our passage here is that it looks like wrestling. There Jacob was alone, minding his own business, When, win, when, wham, in the middle of the night. Some figure, some person, starts this wrestling match that lasts until the break of day. And, and at first, who exactly Jacob is wrestling with? It, it, it's, it's very ambiguous. The text just tells us that it was a man. And so if you're Jacob, someone jumps you in the middle of the night and you're in his circumstances, who do you think, who would you think was fighting you? Probably Esau, right? This is Esau coming. He's like, he got ahead of his 400 men saying, I'm going to, you know, wring your neck myself. Or it could be Uncle Laban. I mean, you cannot trust Uncle Laban. He might have, you know, let's make a deal. And then he's coming back to get his revenge uh, on on his son-in-law. He's thinking, man, there's a lot of people who want to wrestle with Jacob. But here's the thing. Jacob had been wrestling for his entire life. Ever since, maybe even before he was born, he was wrestling with the world, trying his hardest to secure his place in it. But there's one person that he'd never really wrestled with to this point, and that person is God. And so, a genuine encounter with God, it looks like wrestling. And what is it to wrestle? Wrestling is intense, wrestling is a struggle, and wrestling is painful. Now, wrestling is intense. When you wrestle with God, with your faith in God, your your beliefs about God, it's intense. A real encounter with God is not this casual ho-hum, you know, sort of take it or leave it thing. It requires focus, effort, flexing, mental, emotional, spiritual muscles. And when I was growing up, I used to wrestle with my dad. And one thing I remember about wrestling with my dad is that it was exhausting. He was so much stronger than me. And to do anything, I had to give it my all. And the same is true when I wrestle with my boys now. When they wrestle me, they put absolutely everything that they have into it. And they can't do anything to me. And it's one way that I actually try to tire them out is to try to get them to wrestle and exert themselves, saying if they, if they pour all of this energy into it, it's surely going to tire them out. Now, it never works uh, for them, but it definitely works for me. Um, if, you ever wrestle, if you ever wrestle, like got in a fight or wrestle with someone, it's one of the hardest things that you can do. Like wrestling people is exhausting. After about two minutes, you're like, I am spent if you ever watch, watch boxing, is also analogous. I can't imagine how these people do this for like 10 rounds. It's insane. After two minutes, you're like, I'm spent. I can't do this anymore. And, and, and so this kind of struggling, this striving, it's such an intense, like exacting activity. But when we're encountering God in a real way, we, we do the same thing. We, we give it the intensity and the focus and, and the effort that it deserves. So wrestling is intense, wrestling with God is intense. It's also a struggle because a real wrestling match involves two parties. Really wrestling with God means asking yes hard questions to which there aren't easy answers or, or ones that don't that don't necessarily jibe with our pre-existing beliefs or or our dominant cultural norms. God isn't weird in the sense of being, I love this acronym. Uh, I will always return to it. Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. That's this, there's this wonderful seminal paper from uh, the world of behavioral sciences saying that our, kind of the, our textbooks or our standard definitions of, of, of human behavior and human psychology rely far too much on weird people. Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic that we basically take, you know, college students and uh and because they're a captive audience and you can bribe them to do psychological studies and we base our whole understanding of human psychology off of that small sliver of people i definitely did that for extra credit when i was at the U. signed up for a psychological study and so our god is not weird in that sense he's weird in another sense but, but if, if your God just easily and obviously affirms all the things you affirm and rejects the things you reject, and you've never had to struggle with God or wrestle with God and with Scripture, then you're doing it wrong. If you would say, well, I, I, I could never believe in a God who, I'd say you're not willing to wrestle. And if you're not willing to wrestle, then you're not willing to really encounter God, but only a projection of yourself and your own values. Believing with the God we meet in Scripture means that you're going to be doing lots of wrestling. I mean, you just start reading through the Bible. The, the, the fall, the flood, the death of the firstborn, hardening Pharaoh's heart. I mean, we haven't even made it halfway through the book of Exodus. And there's already lots of things that we need to wrestle with theologically, ethically, spiritually, morally. Oh, the Bible is this great wrestling match. But to encounter the real and living God, a, a, a God who is other than us, means that it will be a struggle. And that's not just okay, It's good because we want to meet a, the real God and not just a projection of our own weird values onto the universe. So wrestling is intense, it's a struggle, and it's, it's painful. In the midst of this intense wrestling match, what, what, what happens? The wrestler touches Jacob's hip and just pop. It's strained. And so a real encounter with God, it usually involves some kind of pain because pain is a part of of growing. Now I'm not talking here about pain that is merely destructive but but pain that teaches, pain that builds, pain that strengthens. We all know that kind of pain. When you exercise vigorously, what what are you doing to your muscles? You're, you're tearing the fibers. The day after it hurts. Not to you know humble brag here, but on Friday I ran 20 miles <laughs> as part of my marathon training. Uh, that's the longest I've ever run in my life. My legs hurt. I was spent. I mean, Amy was just saw me that day. I was just so sad. I looked like a like someone had wrung out a you know a dish rag, and 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 I that's just how much energy I felt like I had. It was so hard. But the day after I felt pretty good, and, and so my body through that pain is being transformed into something that can finish a marathon. And so a real encounter with God involves pain that leads to growth in grace and strength to face adversity. I mean, the early Christian martyrs were, were called athletes for God because they were strong enough to endure the pain of persecution, torture, and death in order to bear witness to Christ. And so a real encounter with God comes when we meet Him alone. It's like a wrestling match, which is this intense and even painful struggle. But at last, we get to see what results from it. What results from this genuine, real encounter with God? And so, the first thing that results from it is that Jacob is given a new name. And so, this wrestling match is going on, there's not going to be a clear winner. And so, the wrestler asks him, What is your name? And since this is God, we know it's God he's wrestling with. This isn't a question so much for God as it is for Jacob. This question is for him. And the wonderful thing about this question, what is your name, is that it offers Jacob a chance at redemption. Because Jacob had been asked a question like this once before in his life. When he had gone in to steal his brother's blessing from his, his blind and aged and dying father. And he had put on goatskins because his brother was hairy. And so he went in to pretend uh, to to be his brother. And Isaac had asked him, Jacob, or he had had asked him, who are you? Basically, what's your name? Identify yourself. And, And Jacob at that moment had lied and said, I'm Esau. And so here in this encounter with God, he's being offered a chance to tell the truth. Jacob does. And in naming himself, it's a form of confession. I'm Jacob. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the deceiver. I'm the usurper. I'm the striver. I'm the supplanter. And God's answer is well, not anymore. You're not Jacob. From now on, you will be Israel because you've striven with God and with men and prevailed. And so Jacob is no longer to be known as the heel grabber, now he is going to be the God wrestler. And this new name, Israel, it's, it's the combination of two Hebrew words, one of which is very common, El, that's God. But Israel, it means to, to contend, to strive, to struggle, to wrestle. And this isn't just a new name for Jacob, it's, it's a new name for God's people. And so it's a new name for us too. And this name's meaning, it's wonderfully ambiguous, delightfully ambiguous. Normally, in a name like this, God would be the subject. So it would mean God wrestles or God strives or God struggles. And so what that means for us is that we are the people with whom God wrestles. God has chosen to grapple with us and strive with us and struggle with us because he loves us and he isn't willing to just let us go or to go on our own or go astray without a fight. God's willing to fight us and fight for us. So God wrestles, that's one meaning. It can also mean wrestles with God because Jacob and and God's people are the people who strive with God primarily through prayer. Before our passage in in verses 9 through 12, it's actually the first recorded words of prayer in the entire Bible. And so to be someone who wrestles with God is to be someone who is persistent like Jacob in prayer. So it can mean, you know, God wrestles, wrestles with God, or lastly, it can mean God's wrestler. And so we are the people who wrestle on God's behalf. We champion his cause and his kingdom out in the world. And so our ministry is like one big wrestlemania just going out there. You know, the forces of evil, give them, you know, an elbow, a flying elbow from the top turnbuckle. And so God wrestles with us, we wrestle with him, and we wrestle for him. That's what this new name means. So Jacob gets this wonderful, this beautiful new name, and he gets two other things. He gets a blessing, and he gets a limp. Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And here's the truth. Over the course of the rest of his life, prior to this moment, Jacob has been seeking to obtain blessings for himself through his own strength, his own cunning, his own guile. And he had been remarkably successful in that. But he had reached the end of himself. He was facing what he, he thought to be certain death at the hands of his brother, and he was locked in this, this wrestling match that he couldn't win. But this blessing that he now seeks is a, is a completely different kind of blessing than before. And I absolutely love what, what Frederick Beekner has to say about this, and so I'll give him the last word. He says, Now the blessing Jacob seeks is not a blessing he can have by his own cunning or the force of his will, but a blessing that he can have now only as a gift. Power, success, happiness, as the world knows them, are there for those who will fight for them hard enough. But peace, love, joy are only from God. And God is the enemy whom Jacob fought there by the river, of course, and whom in one way or another, We all of us fight, God the beloved enemy, our enemy, because before giving us lives, he demands our lives, ourselves, our wills, our treasure. Will we give them, you and I? I do not know. Only remember the last glimpse that we have of Jacob limping home against the great conflagration of the dawn. Remember Jesus of Nazareth staggering on broken feet out of the tomb toward resurrection bearing on his body the proud insignia of the defeat which is victory, the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. God meets us alone. He wrestles us to the ground, but our defeat is our victory because we are named and we are claimed by the grace of God that will never let us go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Will you pray with me?